Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. This special episode of UX Cake was a panel discussion recorded live in front of an audience in Seattle on June 28th. If you've been in UX design or research for any amount of time, it's almost certain you've been involved in a review of your work or your team's work. And chances are you've experienced a review that just goes off the rails or that causes chaos and churn after the fact. Or sometimes you just don't get the feedback that you really need. In this panel, we talked about lessons learned and techniques that you can use to make your reviews more effective and how to prepare for and deal with the sharks and the other perils that can derail reviews of your work. My panel guests were Laura Barboza, who's a senior UX researcher at REI, and you may have heard Laura on this podcast before talking with me about working as a freelancer in episodes 11 and 12. Tony Yates, who's a UX director at Smartsheet. Laura Blanchard, co-founder and executive creative director of Blamo Corp Agency. And Ruth Kickengill, a principal innovation designer and strategist at Microsoft. You can learn more about my fantastic guests on the show notes page at uxcake.co slash sharkproof. Before we get started, I'd like to quickly thank the sponsors who made this event and the recording of it possible. A big thanks to All of Us Creative Partnerships, which is a design studio and talent placement firm here in the Seattle area. I've worked with All of Us both as a consultant working for them many years ago, and I've hired designers through them. And from both sides, I know they are outstanding. They are just a group of fantastic people, and they treat their people really well. And the design and research pros that they place, either short-term or full-time, are always well-vetted and of the highest caliber. You can find them at allofus.com. That's A-L-L-O-V-U-S dot com. And also, thanks to UXPA Seattle, the Seattle branch of the UXPA, User Experience Professionals Association. There are a handful of UX organizations that are worth joining yearly, and UXPA is definitely one of them. They host really valuable events all year long for the UX community, and they also sponsor others in the community, like UX Cake. You can find them at uxpa.org. They have chapters all around the globe, and uxpaseattle.org. All right, let's get started. Let's get on with this topic. What's the deal with sharks? There's many types of personalities that are in a room at any given, at any meeting, but in UX, those personalities can derail your UX reviews. And in our discipline, we have to review whether it's research or design, concepts or uh, wireframes or mock-ups. We are reviewing a lot of work a lot of the time. Who has here in your work, you want feedback and you want the teams you work with to feel involved and invested in the user experience. Please applaud. Okay. So I'm going to guess that those of you who didn't applaud probably don't applaud at anything. (laughs) Okay. Who here in a UX review has ever experienced a non-UX professional trying to own or dictate the user experience. Please boo. Boo. (laughs) 
Um, so clearly, this is a really common experience, and that's why you're here today. So I'm going to go ahead and start asking our very smart panelists um, some questions to help us like figure these things out. Uh, the first thing that I'd love for you guys to tell us is an experience that you've had where the UX review did not go well, and in retrospect, you know, what would you do differently? I guess for me, being a researcher, um, what I present are findings, right? Research findings. And certain things that come to mind are uh, stakeholders getting hung up on the numbers, for example, like, oh, only two out of six participants experienced an issue, or that was not tested with the right audience, and so therefore we're going to um, kind of overlook the findings, right? I guess in those situations, what I've learned to do is prepare, at least from a data standpoint, right? Prepare those numbers in a way that speak to the room in a different way. So for example, if I know I'm speaking to business stakeholders, um, I'd rather say 33% of our customers are experiencing X rather than three out of nine participants said blank because it sounds a little bit more powerful, right? And stakeholders, business stakeholders specifically uh, deal with a lot of percentages all the time. So I think it's it's just using their language, right? When it comes to maybe pushback on the methodology or pushback on the recruiting effort or anything like that, it's good to, to say uh, any limitations or prepare them um, with limitations ahead of time uh, just so that it doesn't bite you later, right? So that it doesn't come back to you to say, for them to say like, oh wait, these were all women, right? Or um, we don't have a representation of like 25 to 35 year olds. So you might tell them ahead of time, due to X restriction, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't recruit these participants. So uh, this data is focused on uh, telling this part of the story, right? And maybe focusing it on whoever it was that you that you were able to interview. Um, so little things like that, I think, are just small examples. Tony, can you think of a specific example you could give us and what you might have done differently? Uh, sure. I mean, I can, uh, I have kind of a, the, the one story I like to tell um, designers and kind of depending on the audience, I'll give you more or less detail. But I worked for uh, a company, I don't like to name names, but it rhymes with Microsoft. Um, a couple of years ago, they, uh, I was in a, a very, very senior leadership um, presentation. I had no idea the expectation going into that meeting, what they were expecting to see. And it turns out I was showing something that was a more wireframe, more work in progress. Uh, they were expecting seeing something more prototype, more finished, more polished. And that disconnect just made the whole process and the whole meeting just go downhill very, very fast. So I was able to recover by letting people know that that work is coming, that you know, um, we can go back to, the, back to the process and I can have people work on the prototype, we can present that next, but knowing that going in would have been helpful and that's, that's one of the things that I sort of use that analogy to let people know, it's kind of know your audience, know the expectations in advance. If you can get some of that early intel from somebody say, hey, you know, is this, is this what they're expecting to see? You know, maybe talk to the PMs, talk to the other people involved in the project and say, is this what, is this what they typically see? You know, maybe they do want to see something more clickable. Maybe they want to play with a little more. Or maybe they know. Or maybe you can just show them, you know, some very, very roughs or just sketches. But kind of knowing that in advance really, really helps. And I've, I've since then taken that to heart. And I always try to find out in advance who I'm presenting to, what their expectations are, who else is in the room. Um, and if I can have other representations in the room as well, dev is there, PM is there, research is there. If they're all there, because we're all kind of speaking the same language, telling the same story, that's very, very, very helpful. So, Laura? There's been a many, many examples of this throughout my career. I think the one that just popped into my head was 
I worked at Amazon for a few years, and this is after having worked at Microsoft and having worked at my own studio and a bunch of different startups. And um, Amazon is great, at least it fit very well with my personality because everybody, all the teams at Amazon work as independent startups, like very small teams, you're moving very quickly, you spend a lot of time generating a lot of ideas, getting feedback, it's, it's a really great process, I think. So I was working on a not yet launched innovation product, and I was working very closely with the product manager, so business owner of this product, to come up with the, the features that we thought were important, all this stuff. And we had come up with this really great presentation that was a combination of walkthrough of the user experience, video of the vision, and we had worked through sort of the storyline of the meeting. And we knew, we actually knew the stakeholders, we kind of thought we knew what they were expecting and in the middle of the meeting one of the and everybody who works at Amazon is very smart which is great that's a wonderful thing about that company in the middle of that presentation like as we're getting to you know the cool stuff that we made one of the executive VPs on Jeff's leadership team was like hey he brought up this very important like business point that we hadn't considered that basically trashed everything that was to come in our presentation. And I got extremely defensive, like not a good thing. I was like, because I wanted to show him our ideas. And I mean, this was only like four years ago. I've been doing this for 20 years at this point and I still got extremely defensive. And I know as, as I was saying what I was saying, I'm like, I am doing this wrong. <laughs> They're gonna hate me and they, they didn't get a good impression of me. That was like my first big executive presentation, the first of my few years there, and it took a long time after that fact, with a lot of active listening, building up their trust to know that I wasn't just a jerk, that wasn't, that didn't understand I had made a mistake. So I guess from that point on, I mean, I've learned that lesson many, many times, but acknowledging feedback, even if you know it's wrong in the moment, is super hard, but super important to try to exercise that muscle because it, it's all about how you're perceived. The bummer about doing user research is it's not, in a, in a corporation, is it's not just doing design. You're not, this is why we're not fine artists. You're in an organization. Design is about problem solving, and you have to find a way to get your ideas understood and re received well so that you can get what you want done. So it's, it's kind of, it's communication strategy, I would say. There is a lot of strategy that goes into presenting work, even if it's um, not a formal presentation, which I think is pretty much what we're talking about tonight, is a lot of strategies. Okay, Ruth, what do you think? So first I want to uh, echo everything they said, because this is so important, especially the feedback part. The beauty of it is that I think that once you are presenting, and if it's important, then the ability to fake that smile and just nod and then go and do what you want uh, because you know better. But you have to show the people that you are presenting to, that you are listening to them. It's very good to write notes, even if you don't read them afterwards. It just shows respect, right? So if that's what you want to, to do. You want other people to feel like they're being heard 
and that you're considering their feedback. Especially, I mean, sometimes, you know, it's, a, it's the VP, and if he says something, you have to do that. But many cases, you are presenting to people who are higher up, and they have ideas about everything that they're seeing, but they're seeing so much that, you know, between now and the next time you'll see them, anything can happen. So, you know, just take things with a grain of salt and kind of try to figure out what you can take out of it. I want to tell a story which is... <laughs> It's not about an uh, unsuccessful presentation. It's about a weird presentation that uh, when I think about it, I don't think I ever recovered from it in some ways. So when I was back in Israel and I had my company, we had a, a customer who was associated with the military, and we still don't know who that is because it was so secret. And we were working on this application, a bunch of applications for them. And we never saw them because <laughs> they would take us to, to different places, like just any place. And they would sit in a place that we couldn't see, like they were hiding. And then they had like this middle people that we would talk to and they would <laughs> listen. <laughs> and then they would give the, their comments and feedback to that middle person and that would go mm. back and talk to us. Now, it was the, the weirdest situation. It happens in different ways, even at the business environment, right? Like you are talking to someone who is representing a higher authority or their boss, and they're sitting there and you have to, you have to convince them that what you're doing is good enough and they should be able to go and sell those ideas to other people that you're not meeting. So even though like that kind of military thing was maybe on the extreme side, I think that these things happen all the time in our business environment. And one of the things to do is to give tools to those middle persons to talk about your work. So you have to if you are presenting, it depends what you're presenting, right? But if you are presenting, you need to put hooks into your storytelling in there. So if someone else sees that, they can remember and recite the important parts. And this is very hard, I have to say. But this is also very important. If you realize that the person that you're talking to is not your final customer and they're going to go and need to talk to other people about it, you need to give them ammunition to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point that it does happen. I've had that experience with a PM who I needed to convince the PM that whatever the thing is that he needed to convince his boss in order for us to do a, an effective review to the VPs later. So I like that idea of putting in the hooks into your presentation for that person to then perform. It's like a layered UX cake. It is. <laughs> well, there's many layers, <laughs> yes. Um, there are so many layers to what we do that is actually the genesis of the name UX cake. One thing I can uh, kind of add to that is that the fact that, and kind of what we're talking about is presentations in general, the fact that you create a presentation is doing that already. You're creating something that can be then shared, then someone else can share that same document. So putting it into a format and a presentation, like just at its core, is a good opportunity to do that, to allow people to share it. They can say, hey, can I get that deck from you so that I can show it in my meeting? And 
So doing that and creating some of those, the hooks and the, the great communication of the idea you're trying to convey or the, the research you're trying to put forth, putting it into that presentation format is important. It, it does exactly what you're talking about. It kind of does the work when you're not there. So Yeah, it's it's maybe a little more of the agency model, but when you're working in-house, those, those sort of agency techniques can be really helpful for an in-house team as well. So talking about setting expectations, I think... Uh, at least a couple of you, especially you, Tony, talked about. But when we talked about uh, this yesterday in our pre-panel discussion, setting the correct sec- expectation up front um, is just paramount, right? And even though I think that probably a lot of you, maybe all of you, realize how important that is in any conversation uh, to set the correct expectation before you tell someone, try to um, convince someone of something, it gets overlooked all the time. (laughs) I've even caught myself doing it. And again, I've been doing this over, you know, 20, way over 20 years. So what are some tools or techniques that you guys have used to help either yourself or your team remember to set that context. Almost like you're saying those hooks, you can put them into a presentation, those the initial slide deck or what have you. Are there any tools or techniques you guys have used, Laura? I will say, <laughs> um, for me, what I do, especially with designers that are working for me is that um, the problem happens because you're so deep into the weeds of the stuff you're solving. You don't think that you need to back up and say, hey, this is what we're doing today and these are the goals. And oftentimes if you're, if you work really fast, you don't feel like that stuff is important. It's not the work you're doing. But once again, this is like strategic communication more than anything almost. So I make sure that in every internal review before a stakeholder review, whether it's a client or a internal leadership team every time a designer presents they have to give me that context because I sometimes don't even know like I know what they're supposed to have been working on but I don't know like their viewpoint on what it is that they've done so it's a matter of practicing for every meeting set the context like what is the point of this meeting what kind of feedback do I want to get from you guys what are the things I know I haven't solved yet and then some sort of line that invites collaboration into my thought process. So I need your help solving this thing that I can't solve. Or like, you are the business owner, you are the product owner. The other part of this meeting is about us having a conversation around pushing this thing forward. It's not me presenting. It's I'm giving you some stimuli for a conversation to help move the whole thing forward. So that's that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, I think that uh, this is very important, important the, the setting of the meeting from the get-go. So sometimes there there's an agenda slide to begin with. Uh, also very important to tell them when you expect to hear the feedback. Because sometimes you there is something like a complex idea that you want to, uh, to convey that if people start giving feedback about every step of the way, you'll never get out of it and no one will understand anything, right? So you have to understand yourself if you want that feedback as you go along. Do you want to tell an entire story and then pause and then let others react to it? And also, what do you want to get out of that meeting? Because some meetings or some presentations of your showing work, what you want is to reach consensus or you want to get other people's buy-in. Sometimes they, are, they can actually affect 
what you're doing by telling yes, giving you a yes or no for something. And sometimes they're just there because they need to, when, when other people talk to them about that again, they, they will know their hand and head and they will know what they're talking about and they will not resent it. So it also really depends on what you want to get out of that meeting and what's the relationship with the other people in the meeting. And sometimes you really want to get feedback, right? Like you really want to know what someone thinks about a specific flow or a specific idea. Yeah, so being really clear about what type of feedback you want, knowing that beforehand, and then iterating that. Were you going to say something about this also? Looked. Like yeah, me. I was just going to say, I mean, that's that's exactly right. It's like putting that into the agenda because sometimes, you know, especially as designers and creative people, you kind of you, you trip over yourself because you're sort of steps ahead of the process and you're like, this is a really cool idea. You have to see it. I have to get it out. But you have to remember that not everybody's caught up with you. Not everybody's on the same page. So just adding that to the agenda is even a cue just for you giving the presentation. Oh, here, I'm going to introduce the, pro you know, the, the product, the project, whatever it is. Um, I've decided what I need from the meeting. Here's what I need from you. When feedback is appropriate, you know, you might just say, look, we're going to go through it, we're going to run through it, and at the end, we'll discuss, or at the end, I'll take feedback. And that just kind of sets the tone for the meeting. It says, hey, I've, I've allocated time for this, but it's going to happen at this point, at this interval, because I need to get through this first. And so it just, it's even just a, just a cue for you. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I doubt that all of us have, like, everyone has been perfect and smooth and the techniques are always in place. It's like, you know, it... it some are better than others, but if you add that to your meeting, and I've seen other people really successful for that, when I'm involved in a meeting where I have zero context, zero pre-knowledge of what I'm about to see, and someone goes, hey, here's what you're going to see, I'm going to run through it, save your questions for the end, if you have any questions, I'll follow up. And it's like, okay, now I kind of know the tone, and it's very helpful. So, Yeah, and you can create a template that works for your team that is specific you know, maybe you always want to talk about your design tenets or where you are in the process, so create that template. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, to that point, like, I've been in many cases where I forget, like, to go through that slide, <laughs> and then halfway through, I realize that people don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh, shoot, okay, wait, let me back up. I forgot to tell you guys this was what I was doing, and then it's kind of a nice relief point, actually, because everybody was confused, and then I get a chance to explain. I just had that on the way in. The meeting I had just on, just before I got here, I was meeting with our, our senior leadership, and I'm trying to run through a design system that we're developing. And so it's more than just the visual design. It's actually a whole system. So towards the end, just because of how I had it organized, it talks about more of the philosophical, like why are we doing this? Why is it important? And uh, one of our executives stopped, and he goes, I, I would have put that in the beginning. Like, talk about oh, yeah. that first. Then you can show us the stuff. And so, again, it's, it's not like everyone goes smoothly. It's like, so that's a good point. He's like, put that at the front load that. Explain to us why it's important, why we should care about what we're looking at. Then when you show it to us, like, we're way more interested and invested at that point. So, How do you go about understanding who's going to be in the room and then preparing for that? I guess it depends on the project, right? Um, as a consultant, um, obviously I want to know who's going to be in the room, right? Um, I get all that information ahead of time. And in-house, I mean, just look through your invite, right? Your meeting invite and like try to identify who those people are. Maybe um, go back to conversations that you've had with them um, or or even just cater your content really to um, 
to the audience, right? Maybe the presentation in and of itself could be uh, very general, very um, uh, all-encompassing, for lack of a better term. Um, but when you know that you are talking to marketing specifically, or when you know you're talking to designers or whoever else, IT, right, cater that content in a way that they can understand, right, or that, that it means something to them. And it's not just like, oh, the customer's suffering, okay, because, you know, from an IT perspective, we can't do this. Or from a marketing perspective, we don't understand that. So I think it's just, uh, I guess, putting yourself in their shoes a lot of times. And would you actually change some of the content or word it differently or add some content, remove some content? Let's say, specifically, marketing. Uh, you have the same you know, research findings. You want to talk to marketing, but you also then um, want to talk to you know the customer service or IT. You know, it's funny. I'm experiencing that right now at REI, um, and I don't change the presentation itself. One, because my main concern or my first thought goes into, so am I sharing various versions of this presentation with like different people all over the organization? I feel like that that's just going to cause confusion. So the presentation stays the same. But what I say about the findings is is what I guess shapes it, and I'm being incredibly intentional right now with the with the research that I'm uh, sharing to present in person and not just say like here's a document everyone let's talk about this later. No, the the they see the document and then I share it, and it again it depends on the audience. Um, sometimes you do want to give them a heads up um, and show it to them ahead of time. Other times you want to be the one in control. So. Hopefully they remember what you said as part of the meeting after the fact, right, when they're reading the presentation page by page. How do you adjust for or prepare for those personalities that you know are going to be in the room? Some are going to be sharks and some are going to be friendlies. Sometimes you or I find the ally in the room, sometimes beforehand even, and say, hey, I want to get this across. Let's, let's work together and let's do it together because I know that they, we have a similar thoughts about something. Yeah, and sometimes you're just praying <laughs> that it will be okay, you know, and you just use humor to kind of make things better. I think that one of the important things, regardless of personality, is really the, the storytelling of the presentation and what you are going to say. And again, according to, import, to the importance of that specific presentation, I sometimes practice beforehand and just make sure that I know what are the points that I want to come across and I'm thinking about how am I going to talk about them exactly. Sometimes it's not uh, the entire presentation, but just the, the important things, right? So just to, to find the right phrasing about something that people will get it or people will not react or will react in a, in a positive way to. But that again, it depends on the important of that importance of that presentation. The more stakes there are around that presentation, the more preparations, I would say. Sure, yeah. So I would, I would actually argue that because I don't, I think the biggest success I have found is not treating those super important presentations as anything more important than presenting to my internal team. Like, I will always practice, even for my internal team. But I presume that people that I've heard are difficult are actually not difficult. They're just misunderstood. Like, I like to go into the environment. You're such a good person. I just, I don't like to, because otherwise it's too intimidating. Like, I have to go in there forgetting that and just 
I know who's in that room, but I'm going to talk to them. It's like if I meet Prince on the street, I'm not going to talk to him like I'm deifying him as the best musical artist of all time, but like trying to talk. And uh, surprised that he's alive again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like I, I try to I try to go in there, especially with people that you hear are intimidating and just meet them at their level, like just talk to them like a normal person and they will receive you like a normal person. And that meeting immediately, the stress of that, like no one meeting is that important. Like it's just not, this is software. Like, come on. <laughs> like it, it's so frustrating in many big software organizations where there's lots of people that are, hey, I'm a senior VP or I'm like, and they're just people, come on. Like, so you have to sort of realize that you are not like, don't look at the org chart and think, oh my God, I'm six levels down. Be confident that you've done a good job in your work and that you have practiced your presentation because you would do that no matter what. And then just try to let that political stuff go. I mean, that's what I would suggest. Were you going to say something, Tony, before I move on? That's a great example. It's like, you know, kind of know, know your, that's part of knowing your audience. But I agree with that. Like, just speak to people as people. I think some people appreciate that. I mean, know yeah. that you're there for a reason. I mean, you wouldn't be sitting in that room if you weren't hired to do that job or to perform that task or whatever. Um, what I was going to add to it. And wine will help, too. If you do that before, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure this is not the first of many people who have, like, little stashes in their desk and stuff like that. To <laughs> yeah. Is that allowed? Allowed is kind of a loose term. <laughs> if I can, I do try to, if I know, I mean, I wouldn't fake it, but if I know something about, you know, the audience, I may shape uh, the, the presentation or, or some of the terminology or the colloquialisms to that audience. You know, if I'm speaking to like a demand gen team, I can talk about ARR and uh, PPC and I'm using their vernacular because it's, it kind of communicates on a level they go, it, it helps them understand because they're not getting tripped up on the words. Like I would never do a very formal presentation on the UX process to the marketing team who doesn't understand the terminology even. Again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fake it, but if I knew something about their, their world or their industry, I feel like I can make the connections for them and it helps move the presentation along. They don't get tripped up. A good example of that is the word contextual inquiry. So if you work in research, contextual inquiry, it's just a fancy, it's like what they call a college word for just site visits, you know, observing people in the real world. We had a meeting where we were talking about contextual inquiry because it's a meeting mostly of UX people, and they understand it. They, they, they can fly right over the term. They understand what it means. But we've got execs that are going, what is that? Is that like another research thing I have to pay for? Is that costing yeah. me more money? Like, how many more thousands of dollars in consultants are doing the contextual inquiry for us? And we're like, no, 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 it just means our team went there to go observe the people. He goes, oh, okay, that's fine. So sometimes it just, it, it does help to sort of shape the, even just the terms you use in those, in those meetings and in those presentations. So Before we get um, to the next topic, I do just want to mention something that you said, Ruth, I think is really important and is really key to the shark this idea of the shark, right? Um, which is finding an ally. If you know there's somebody who is likely to disagree or maybe even is known to you know, attack ideas or bring, it you know, bring down the room, finding an ally is really, beforehand, is a great technique for that kind of shark proofing. But also, I, I think a few of you have said this, pointing out how it's important to them, right? understanding what it is, what is important to them, and then how what you're doing is actually helping them. I think one of the more frequent issues is that distance of, uh, distance of focus or distance of interest, maybe. 
And this is when you're coming and you are focusing on a design or a solution that you've been thinking about. And then the other party is really focused on some higher strategic goals that these designs, they might be awesome and great and everything, but in one way or another, they don't match those goals. And those goals might have been made up by them like an hour ago. And now they're thinking, oh, okay, this is what we need to go do. And then they're looking at what you're doing and they say, no, that's, this is not what I'm looking for. Or they, they explain to you maybe very politely why this thing doesn't work because of that dissonance of what you're coming and where you're coming from and where they're coming from. So sometimes it's, you know, they're, I don't know, they're making it on the fly, but sometimes, or maybe there are some strategic decisions or strategic thinking that you are not aware of because you're not part of these conversations. And I think that this is, I don't have a solution, by the way, but this is one of the biggest problems that I see is the ability to understand what are the right conversations that you need to be aware of around what you're working on. So you will be able not just to design something that is great for the user, but also design something that will actually be tailored to the business goals of your organization or your team. And of course, the, the technology will support it. But usually the dissonance is between the, the business and what you think that you're working on. Tying it to the business goals and business objectives every time don't assume that they're going to see it well I, th I think a really important thing she just brought up is is that oftentimes you are very attached to what it is you're presenting because you spent a lot of time presenting or like working on the problem coming up with a solution that you think is the best solution working on a presentation about it oftentimes especially if it's a leadership meeting these guys like you said like five minutes ago they were in a very important meeting they're dropping in on this UX meeting, right? This is not their whole life. That's why this story has to be as short and simple as possible. Like you can't spend a lot of time, you can't like start from the beginning. Like I moved here in 1993 from Chicago. That's what I <laughs> sometimes do when people ask me about my career. And then I worked at Adobe, which was Aldous. And then fast forward to 1994. <laughs> so, but that's kind of the impetus when you've been working through something is to oftentimes, I mean, this is knowing your audience, like you have to really nail the abstract of your idea because that's all they have time for. That's all they have brain space for. If you can do that well and they get the point, then they'll socialize it. But it's kind of... I talk about this with clients all the time that you know we're designing an app experience for. They kind of they come into it thinking that people that use their product are 24 hours a day involved in their product. But really, there's like few touch points or moments every day when they have an opportunity to have people interact with their thing. And it, but it's short, like it's really short. If any of you have listened to UX Cake, I do this sometimes, not always, on the episodes where we take a, a situation that people have come up with and that they're in and we do a quick little brainstorm. And since I am going to look at these, we only have time for one, so I'm going to look at these. Um, real quickly, can you guys um, discuss for about two minutes, we've been talking a lot about when you are presenting, it sounds, a lot of these are when you're presenting to leadership 
it can be different when you're presenting to your design teams. And you pointed out, uh, sometimes you don't even know what your design teams are doing. So, you know, maybe you are, are presenting to someone who understands your language. Um, they do kind of understand where you're coming from, but how is it different? Does it, do you do anything different for your presentations? Sometimes it's harder because they notice. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, you know, speaking from recent experience, I'm going through the same thing. We're doing presentations both, uh, we're doing stakeholder presentations now, both internally and external teams. The internal team is a little more challenging because you're right, they have the shorthand, they see everything, they see when things are off, they can tell if a box is a pixel off or not because they're super, they got the critical eye. Um, but what's been successful for me is that when you're introducing sort of a new concept or, or in my case, a, a new system entirely, is that uh, letting people know not just like what, where you are in the process and what the steps are, but at what point they are enrolled in the process. So you're allowing for that, you know, here's something that's being worked on, here's something I'm presenting, and here's where you come in, and here's where I need your help. So right away, that's part of the presentation. I'm not, I'm not, it's not a dictating presentation. I'm not just going, here's what we're doing, and look at it, and I've got all the answers. It's like, here's something I started, here's some good ideas, and now I need your help to help me complete the, the circle on this stuff. So that stuff really helps. It's like just letting, letting you know, sort of your peers know at what point they're involved in the process. And I think that's been really successful. And just also showing them too, like this is work in progress, or this is final, or this has been approved, or letting them know at what stage you're at and just where they come in. Yeah, I, it's more of a discussion, right, than it is a presentation yeah. at that point. I love how that's the case, right? Like how you can maybe change the feel of that presentation if, if, if I can say that, right? Or it's not a presentation, it's more of a informal review or it's a discussion, right? Like we're amongst peers, we're, you know, all in this together type thing. So it, it really changes the dynamic between the quote unquote presenter, right? And the audience. Suddenly it's like we're all just in the same level and, and, and doing this together. And an audience like that, too, benefits from, um, just speaking to designers, they'll, they'll really benefit from something you would never bring into a, a more formal or a leadership presentation of things that are tactile. So if you're doing a presentation of you know, ideas and concepts, you could even bring in physical objects and talk about that. Because that's something that designers can relate to and other levels of designers can relate to. It's like, here's, here's some fabrics that are inspiring this design. Or here's, you know, here's books that this came from. Or here's, you, know, you bring out those old school you know, Pantone chip books and stuff. And you go, here you go. This is where the inspiration came from. And that's kind of nice, too, because then it feels interactive. It feels more exciting than just slide, slide, slide. So. Thank you. Moving on real quickly, because I know you guys need to get your cake. The kind that you can eat. Okay, so I've got four here, and they're all really good. We only have time for one. I think this one kind of um, touches some of the other ones. So here is the question. When presenting and someone interrupts to poke holes in your design or your explanation of the project, etc., but they don't have a solution to contribute which isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> That's actually kind of a good thing, right? Um, how do you rebuttal or handle? And yeah, and there could be a lot of reasons why this person is jumping in to poke holes. What do you guys think? I like to take an approach that um, I basically ask, if, if time allows, of course, I ask questions of that person, right? So they're poking holes and they're asking questions I'm going to throw those questions back just to understand where they're coming from. 
But again, you know, it depends on on the scenario, right? Or uh, what's going on. If we don't have time for discussion, then maybe it's more along the lines of let's hold those questions. Here's a sticky notepad. Like write that down, and we'll talk about it later. I think that's just a more tactical technique uh, based on what Tony was saying earlier. Um, don't just say hold questions till the end. Give them a post-it note, right? Give them a pen, right? So they can write these things down. Or like you said, you kind of say that question to them. So what I hear you saying is... Yeah, or um, what's going through your mind, uh, you know, right now that's making you ask that? Or it, it depends, right? It depends on what the question is. Um, yeah, it's it's really just for, like, you want further clarification or understanding as to, like, where they're coming from and not just not just react rather than, like, open up and try to listen and understand. Yeah, I just tell them, didn't you see the agenda? It says questions at the end. <laughs> yeah, how does that work for you, Tony? Keep it down over there. <laughs> no, I mean, she's right. You have to kind of, you have to diffuse because sort of the point that was made earlier about sometimes when people are being, you know, even you're being defensive, you have that instinct to go, well, wait, I mean, you have to kind of, step out of yourself for a second and kind of do that. It's a little bit of a distraction technique. You just go, those are great, great questions. You know, we're going to get to all the questions, you know, here's, you know, write it down. Or I do the same thing. Like, here's a tablet, write down your questions, you know, so that we can capture them. Usually that's what you say. Let's, let's capture notes. Who wants to capture notes? Maybe you could capture the notes here. That's great. Well, the, the worst thing that happens is that someone says that and there's someone that you already feel like doesn't really have the expertise to be they might be in a leadership role, but they don't really understand. They're not, they're not smart. Let's just be frank. <laughs> but oftentimes they are bringing up something that I have already considered as a problem that I have reasoned through and come up with an answer to in my solution. But in that moment where I'm being defensive, it's impossible to explain all of that. So I think saying something like, yeah, you know, that's great feedback. I spent a lot of time thinking about that. I'd love to talk to you later to explain my reasoning around that or if we have time at the end of the meeting. I feel like it's rare that people out of the blue come up with a random, completely irrelevant criticism. Like, it's always stuff that I have either anticipated or have considered, so... It's yeah. the term, uh, let's take this offline. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's like the term that everybody likes to use. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but they just go, let's take this conversation offline. But and another thing I'm hearing you guys saying is validating that, what they said. You know, so you don't just brush it off. It is user feedback, right? It's it's it, that's a potential person that's responding to the thing you're making. And if they are trying to give you a solution, that can be worse, right? So another technique is, okay, let's get to the problem statement, you know, or the problem I'm hearing you say is blah. Let's talk about that after the meeting or at the end of the meeting. Because probably a room full of people is not the best place to design something. No. But yeah, I think it's... So if something like that happens to me and it happens all the time, my first reaction, my gut reaction is... <sighs> right? But you have to kind of conceal that because that's inappropriate and sure, it won't help you sell your ideas or make them... Um, come to life right so I think that there's I'm kind of breathing and then I'm trying to like you said before understand what the criticism was and then I try to again defer that conversation to later so I have enough time to think about it and not have gut reactions to things especially if it's something that I did consider for quite a while or that it was covered in the last meeting that that person wasn't there and we just spent like an hour and a half discussing that and got into a conclusion 
and that person is opening up that topic, uh, which happens too often. Um, so I think that yeah, ideally, if I can, I try to, to keep calm and kind of continue that conversation without getting into the details, if that's possible. But sometimes you have to answer those questions, right? Sometimes it's a situation where you're just saying, yeah, and you try to explain what you were doing and how you made that uh, decision. Yeah, okay. And there is like the rare, rare occasion where something can go, it's not very often, but something can go entirely sideways where someone, senior leader or anybody in the room can kind of derail the whole, the whole presentation or the whole meeting. Um, and it's always best to just kind of, you know, keep composure as much as you can. You can see that it's going sideways and you just have to be like the, the person who's like, especially if you're the one leading it, you have to say, look, we're just going to have to, maybe we should just move this meeting or maybe we just give everybody their time back and we'll kind of reconvene when we have a better idea. And then you can kind of meet more one-on-one. -on -one. But the most important thing to do is to just, you've got to just maintain control of what's happening. So there's no way like that's the wrong time to design. That's the wrong time to get into a debate. It's just, and some people will just try to bait you into that and try to engage you in that conversation and get into that debate. So you can't just give into that. As much as your instinct is wanting to defend your work, prove your worth, all that kind of stuff, you have to just move it aside, move the ego aside and say, look, maybe this is the wrong time. Sounds like you don't have all the information. Maybe we can do something pre and we can come back together with this group or we can have a side conversation. So sometimes there's just no way around it. Uh, someone's derailing the, the, the meeting or the presentation. I wouldn't say on purpose, but maybe they're just, they're trying to control it. It could be an ego thing. It, it does happen. So just knowing that that's a possibility, if you s kind of sense it's coming or you're getting lots of flack, you're just going to have to, you know, let, let, you know what, pick our battles. Let's move on. Let's do something else. Or let's move into a different part of the presentation or let's controversial piece or something like that. So we are out of time. Unfortunately, we started a little bit late. If you have questions, if you want to go ahead and come up here and the rest of you can have cake. Can we please have a round of applause for our wonderful panelists? <laughs> and for you guys, thank you so much for coming. Um, this has been a lot of fun. Okay, that wraps up our conversation. I hope you can join us for the next live recording because it was a really fun evening. And there was real cake. If you'd like us to come to your town, let us know. Drop us an email at uxcake at amplifyalliance.com or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can get the links to connect with us and with the panelists on the show on the show notes page at uxcake.co slash sharkproof. And as always, thank you for sharing a slice of UX cake with me today. And if you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a bite.